Welcome to Anchor Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more education, visit www.anchorchurchcsra.com. All right, well, we are not in Ephesians today, so I hope uh, no one is super sad about that. Don't worry, we'll be back in Ephesians next week. I decided that we should hit the brakes on Ephesians and talk about baptism. Why? Well, because I'm really excited about what God's doing in the life of our church. One of the things I'm really excited about is over the past month, no less than six conversations, very serious, very awesome conversations, took place around baptism. And the narrative of all those conversations left me just, as I was on my knees praying for our church, praying for every single one of you, praying for those that are on vacation this week and all around the world, it's summer, you know, we're kind of scattered right now, but I just couldn't help but pray in my heart, Lord, give us a fresh perspective and a biblical perspective on baptism. Because as I begin to talk to different people in our church, and as I think about all the conversations I've ever had on baptism, I had one with my neighbor a few months ago. He got saved when he got COVID. COVID brought him almost to his deathbed. And he let me know in a very honest moment, just one of those driveway conversations that I pray every one of you can have with your neighbors. Because I'm telling you, Jesus does stuff in the driveways. (laughs) <laughs> when you talk to your neighbor, there's something about standing in a driveway. I don't know what it is. Maybe when we get the heaven orientation, God will tell us all the mysteries of that. I've had so many Jesus conversations in a driveway. And he was telling me, he said, man, I've never been so close to death. And sometimes God uses closeness to death or someone else, unfortunately, sometimes passing to get our attention. God will use that to, to kind of shake us a little bit. And he said, I was just shook to my core, and I needed to give my life to Jesus. And so he did. And we started talking about baptism a little bit. And so we, we met for lunch, and we talked more about baptism. And then as I began to have different conversations with people in our church, baptism kept coming up, and it kept coming up. It was like, all right, Lord, I get it. We're, we're going to talk about baptism on a Sunday morning. And so today, baptism raised in new life. Because baptism, if you want to know what baptism is all about, It is all about new life in Jesus. Do you want to write that down this morning? We are raised to new life in Jesus. And the question that I want to answer in just a short amount of time here, it's going to be a little shorter than I normally preach, at least I hope, uh, as we discover, why is baptism so important? Why is baptism so important? But before we do, let's start with just a general definition of baptism and so we're going to head back one and just, and just kind of put this on the screen. Water baptism, here's what water baptism is, just so we're all on the same page. Water baptism is an ordinance. Now, what does that word ordinance mean? Well, it means ceremonial tradition that we do. I know tradition's a buzzword. I know we go, oh, tradition, no, no, we should. No, hey, guys, traditions are good. Traditions are not the bad thing. The bad thing is when we do tradition just for tradition's sake, when we lose the meaning behind it. When it just becomes drudgery and just, okay, do the thing. Let's just go through the motions, right? That's in tradition, there's a problem with it. Even when the Protestant Reformation happened, there were traditions happening. The only problem is that 90% of those traditions weren't in the Bible and were robbing people of money and were unethical. 
and needed to change. And that's why Martin Luther nailed those 99 issues to that castle door in Wittenberg 500 years ago. Water baptism is an ordinance. There's two ordinances in the church. Ready? The first is the Lord's Supper. And we take the Lord's Supper to remember Jesus, to, to repent of our sin and remember what he did for us and to afresh and anew remember the great lengths that he went to the cross for us. His death, his sacrifice, his, his atoning work for us. The bread and the, and the wine or the bread and the juice and so here, water baptism is that second ordinance. And water baptism is an ordinance instituted by the Lord Jesus. So that's why baptism is such a big deal, because Jesus said it was a big deal. Jesus set it up. And not only was it instituted by the Lord Jesus, but it signifies a believer in Christ's union with Christ. So when you think about baptism, think about we are here, Christ, and we are coming together. Now, you may ask, is this happening at baptism or did this already happen? And the answer is the latter. Baptism signifies what has already happened. And this is why, this is why um, I'm going to say this in several different ways throughout the sermon as to hopefully not be redundant, but just to make sure that no one leaves missing this point. The reason why baptism is so necessary and so urgent and so awesome and something we should immediately obey from the Lord Jesus is because it signifies something that's already happened. And sometimes we think that something, the togetherness happens at baptism, but really it's just a reflection of what's already true. And so it's like, if it's already true, then let's demonstrate that it's already true. And that's, already, and that's always been the way that the church has handled this from the very beginning. And sometimes, you know, 2,000 years later, we've got to take it back to the beginning and see how in the Bible did they treat baptism. So we're going to do that in a second. And I, man, I do not have even close the amount of time that I would love to have to take you through every single baptism in the book of Acts and look at the patterns and all that. But I, I invite you just on a very basic level, since we're planting a church, read through the book of Acts sometime in the next month. If you're not reading through something right now, just do a chapter a day. It's about that way. It's kind of like Proverbs. There's you know, a, a enough for one a day. Acts is kind of the same way. So just, just, just read a chapter a day and just kind of get in Acts a little bit. Ladies, y'all are going to do a, a study uh, in our home. Uh, our women's ministry is going to do an Acts study, I think, starting in August or, or sometime around then. And so that's super exciting. It signifies a believer's union with Christ in his life, death, burial, and resurrection, essentially the gospel. It's a picture of the gospel and what the gospel has done in your heart. And this is, this is the other part. And we see this throughout church history. We see this throughout Acts. That one's membership in the church is tied to baptism. So the most common way that people joined the church, people came to Christ, they gave their life to Christ, then they got baptized, and then they were in the church. Now you go... Well, what if someone dies and they're not baptized? Well, they still go to heaven. Baptism doesn't save. But here's the catch, ready? And this is super important. Just because baptism doesn't save you doesn't make it non-essential. It doesn't make it non-important. There are lots of things that do not save us. There are lots of spiritual disciplines that will not save you. Just, just do this spiritual discipline and you're good with God. No, those things flow out of a genuine relationship with God. But just because something doesn't save you doesn't make it something that we can put off or something that's not essential or something that'll just happen when it happens. It's kind of like, um, you know, you talk about like loving your neighbor. You, you won't be saved by loving your neighbor, but if you are saved, you will love your neighbor because the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And if you're truly saved by the Lord Jesus, you will be baptized. The Holy Spirit will compel you. 
it, it will happen. It's been happening for 2,000 years. And so we ask the question again, why is baptism so important? Here's like the number one thing that I want us to see this morning. I could spend the whole time on just this one thing, and I've already unpacked some of the things. But here's something we're going to put on the screen. Ready? Baptism is an outworking of the Great Commission. What's the Great Commission? It's what Jesus said we should be doing. It's, he gave the church a mission, a job. And he said, go. And where did he say to go? Just to church on Sunday? No. Where did, where did he say? Go into, help me out, come on. All the world. Go into all the world. Make disciples, three parts. Make disciples of all nations. Not just people that look like you, think like you, act like you, but of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So we make disciples, we baptize these disciples, and we teach them the word of God. That's our job. That's not just my job, that's all of our job. Every one of us. My job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's my unique role here. And, and God's calling some of you to do the same thing. Again, that's not just on a pastor to do that. But that is, that is my unique role. That's, that, that's my highest calling, not, not only to uh, provide the vision and kind of lead as a visionary pastor and to shepherd the flock and things like that, but to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And what's the work of ministry? It's at least make disciples, baptize people, teaching the word of God. And so, here comes another question. How should someone be baptized? How? Well, there are lots of different approaches, aren't there? This is where it gets a little tricky, because how many of you, let me, let me just get a show of hands, if you, what, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna raise my hand first, so, so you won't feel awkward or anything. But if you were raised in a tradition that was not Baptist, anybody? Several of us here, Right? We've got Jordan raising the Lutheran church in the back. He's raising his hands because Lutherans raise their hands all the time, right? Jordan, you guys had hands raised all over that Lutheran. No, no, no not, not quite. Um, and we love our Lutheran brothers and sisters. Um, we didn't raise our hands in the Catholic church growing up either. So definitely not. If you sneezed, you were getting in trouble. So. But we come from different traditions. And so let me, let me just preface this. When I say that the approach we take as Baptists in our doctrine and in our practice um, by, the, by the way, we should care about baptism if we're called Baptists. Like that, should, that should at least be something that's important to us. Side note. But as I, as I distinguish the differences, I'm not hating on your family or the upbringing that you came up with. I'm not throwing grandma under the bus. Please hear me, okay? Your baptism, because I was, I was baptized when I was young, and I loved my grandma so much, and I knew I was getting cake after. And I, and I did believe in God, and I believed in Jesus. I believed in the facts of the gospel. And so I went ahead, and I was baptized. And several of the rest of you had the same experience. Actually, lots of you had that experience, because those are the conversations we've been having this past month. And we kind of come to this realization of like, okay, how should someone be baptized? Well, we have different modes. We have um, sprinkling, right, pouring, and immersion. And let's just make this real clear. The, the, the church, the biblical church of Jesus Christ, Christianity, no one was sprinkled until about 1300. It was all immersion from there. What do we see in the Bible? Whenever we want to build a doctrine or a practice in Scripture, here's what we do. We go to the Bible and we do whatever is the example set in here. Sometimes there's not an example set and it's kind of a gray area and we can just let it be a conviction issue. We go, okay, 
doesn't really prescribe anything. And we don't have a verse that says if you're not immersed, it doesn't count. That's, that, that's not the verse we have. But what we do have is a lot of immersion baptisms. Zero sprinkles, zero pours. We have people being baptized. And the word baptizo in the Greek, I mean, it only means, like, it, there's, there's not a lexical range that ranges from sprinkle to pour to immerse. It only means to completely immerse in water. And so that's why we do that. So how should someone be baptized? Baptism in the Bible is always, not, not just most of the time, but always by full immersion in water. So that's why we do that. Why is that so powerful? Well, because when someone dies to sin, this is the imagery that we get. When you go under the water, it's, it's, it's symbolizing your death to sin. Now, how dead to sin should you be? Completely dead to sin, right? So your whole body is under the water, just like your body will be under the earth at some point. And so it is the most accurate, most drastic picture of us dying to sin. And then in that same way, to, to rise from death, to rise from spiritual death. Remember Ephesians 2? But God made us alive. That's what that means. When you come out of that water, that's what Jesus already did in your heart. And that should be the most, I mean, the most exciting part about baptism for me is when somebody comes out of that water. Because that means that they are no longer going to hell. That means they are going to heaven. And not in that moment. They weren't saved by the dunking at that moment. But they were already saved. And that should elicit worship. And it should elicit celebration in us. And it should cause us to erupt in joy, not, not, not some fabricated enthusiasm, but a genuine joy that someone has given their life to Jesus. And so, this is why we do that. This is why we fully immerse. Now, um, let's turn in our Bibles for a second. There's a couple of examples. Go, go with me to Acts chapter 8. This is, this, this is one of my favorites. I could take you to many places this morning. We're going to go to Acts 8 together. And you can join me in U version or on your Bible app, whichever version you have this morning. It's not going to come up on the screen. So if, if you don't have a copy this morning, then just listen in. That's what the church did for hundreds of years. They listened to somebody read up front. And there's this guy named Philip. Philip was an evangelist. That means he really, really, really liked to share his faith about Jesus. And he was one of the disciples. And he, he walked with Jesus. He was changed by Jesus. And he's... He's going along, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and said, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem, this place called Gaza. And so he got up, he goes, and there's this Ethiopian man also that he's going to intersect paths with. By the way, God has someone for you. I'm not, I'm not lying to you, all right? I'm, I'm telling you the whole truth, not, nothing but the truth, ready? And from the source of truth. God has someone for you if, if you are ready for it, if you will step into it, if you will be available God has someone for you this week to talk to about Jesus. He'll, he'll provide someone for you at work, at the grocery store. Happened to me last night at a gig. I was, I was on a 10-minute break. I, I was just at the water hole, you know, just getting some water real quick. And I sat down. I actually wasn't going to sit down. You know what I was going to do? I was going to go over in the corner to this couch, this nice cozy couch, because I was tired. I was tired last night. It was about, about 8, 30, 9 o'clock. And I was going to go to that couch, and I was going to look over my notes for today. Because I care a lot about being prepared for, you know, the sermon time. And, and, I, and so I, I was going to do that. And I felt that, that prompting, just like, you, you need to have a seat at this bar. And so I did. And so I had my water there, and I was sipping on the water. And all of a sudden, this couple starts talking to me. And we get to talking, and about 10 minutes later, we didn't start talking about Jesus. But all of a sudden, we were talking about Jesus. And 
You know who opened that door? It wasn't me going, hey, how about Jesus? What do, you, what, do you, what do you think? And sometimes God is calling you to have that kind of conversation. He is challenging you to be bold. There's a time and place for that. Oftentimes, if we're available, if you just say yes and just be obedient, man, God will open that door. We started talking about having people over, and we love to have people over. And she's like, now, why do you love to have people over to your house? Is there some kind of faith reason behind that? And here's my chance. Because I could have said, no, you know, we just, we just like to love people. You know, I mean, it's just the nice thing to do, right? 007 Christian, right? Like, oh, I don't know if I tell them it's my faith. And what. I just said, yes, absolutely. And I, I just, hey, we love Jesus. We want to live like he lived. And that's actually one huge reason why I like to get out in the community and play music because these kind of opportunities happen. I, I get to meet really great people and we end up talking about Jesus at some point. And so God has someone for you, Philip and this Ethiopian official. They were going to intersect. Because God's sovereign, friends. He's sovereign. He'll lead someone to you. He'll lead Mormons to your door, right, Evan? He'll lead, he'll lead your neighbor to end up having that conversation with you. It, it, it starts out about one thing, but it leads to another. And here we go. The Spirit told Philip, get up and get in that chariot where that, where that Ethiopian official is. And so he got up in that chariot and the Ethiopian official's reading scripture, and he's like, man, I'm just not getting this. He's all in Isaiah, and Isaiah can be really confusing if, if you don't have somebody helping you. And so Philip helps him understand what Isaiah was prophesying about Christ. The Ethiopian official gives his life to Christ, and here's what happens next. As they were traveling down the road, verse 36, look at this with me. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And that question right there is the question. What would keep me from being baptized? That's the question. If you haven't been baptized as a believer, I want you to ask yourself that question. What would keep me from being baptized? Not period, but like immediately. Like what's standing in the way of that? Let me tell you a few things that commonly stand in the way. These are just conversations I've had, most common issues just that I've heard over the years, just the whole big picture. The first thing, the number one thing, honestly, if we're really honest, the number one thing that I, that I have seen is pride. It is the number one barrier because what happens is naturally as human beings, naturally we ask the question, what's so-and-so going to think? Well, who, what, you know, we, we care about those perceptions. I did this because when I came to faith, I told you I was raised Catholic, so I got saved in a Methodist church, and then I was going to be baptized in a Baptist church. And my family, I'll, I'll just be honest with you, my family wasn't real excited that I was getting baptized in a, in a Baptist church. They were like, you've already been baptized. What are, you, what are you doing? And I was worried what mama was going to think for a second. Until the Holy Spirit challenged me, until I heard a sermon just like this one, I, I was sitting in church and I got convicted because the Lord just began to show me, like, who are, who are you trying to please, Brandon? Man or God? Mama or God? Yes, honor your mother, but not above Jesus and something Jesus said to do. And I realized after about a year and a half of kind of kicking the can and just kind of thinking about it, well, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if I should or not. It was time. And let me just highlight the urgency in this passage. We see an urgency for baptism. That is the example we see in Scripture. People um, did not typically take time to think about this like a home purchase. They did not Google all the reviews. 
right? Watch, watch different reviews on YouTube, those kind of things. Sometimes uh, another barrier is just, just an incorrect view of baptism. Sometimes it's theology. It's just, it's just doctrine. It's just a doctrinal deficiency. Hey, I had it too. Baptism for the Catholics, just so you know, just some distinctions. Baptism for the Catholics means that original sin is washed away. And that, you, and that in that moment, that justification, you being made right with God, that process, keyword, starts. So justification for Catholics is progressive. It happens over a period of time. You're not saved. You're being saved. And hopefully you don't mess it up because it's a process. And that's, that's one of the distinctions between Protestantism and Catholicism is that for us, for, for Baptists and for other Protestant denominations who see things differently, we say, no, 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 the Bible says that justification happens. Romans 5, right? Therefore, we have peace. We have peace. Not we're having peace, not we may have peace tomorrow as long as we don't mess anything up. No, like you are saved. And Jesus uses a perfect tense in the Greek when he says your faith has made you well, your faith has saved you. That, that so-so perfect tense in the Greek, that means something that happened in the past that has continuing, continuous action in the future. You are saved and you are constantly, constantly being saved in the sense that you are kept saved. That does not change. And so it's different. For the Presbyterians, it's more of a covenantal view. It's more of like a, a circumcision uh, view. So baptism is more like a, a, um, a sign that you are in the covenant family of God. So parents will have their, their babies typically um, sprinkled. And again, if your family is Presbyterian, I'm not, I'm not hating on your family. I'm just drawing a, a distinction between what we believe and what Presbyterians believe. And I'm just going to be really straight with you this morning that that, that view of baptism is not found in scripture. It, it's just not. It's, it's a view that someone can share, but that's a doctrine of man. Circumcision's in the Bible, but the connection between baptism and Old Testament circumcision, you will not find that in the New Testament. What you will find is Paul says, hey, there's a circumcision of the heart that happens. There, 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 there's a cutting away of the flesh because the way that he describes it in Romans, he's like, hey, if you live by the flesh, the flesh is death. The flesh the, the mind of the flesh is hostile towards God. It cannot please God. But if you live by the Spirit, if you walk by the Spirit, then, you, then, then that demonstrates you are saved. And so there's a circumcision of the heart that is being saved by the blood of Jesus. That is reflected in baptism, our death and burial and resurrection and new life in Christ. But Old Testament circumcision and baptism, there, there is no scriptural parallel there. And so, but we see things differently. So, who is baptism for? Baptism is exclusively meant, let's hit this real quick, exclusively meant for those who believe in Christ and follow him. So we call this believer's baptism. That's why we baptize believers. So that's why at Anchor we don't baptize babies because a baby cannot profess faith in Christ. They, they cannot make that decision. We also believe that they are preserved that they are in a positive state between God. So, so, so doctrinally as Baptists, we don't believe that babies are going to hell. We don't. There, there are some denominations that do. And you may uh, differ with me on that. You know, there, there, there are doctrines, guys, that I would not call tier one doctrines, but they could be tier two or tier three that we may disagree on. And let me just, this is just a good pastoral, just kind of family church statement that we can just make. There's room for us to disagree on some things. But let me be clear, baptism is not a tier two or tier three issue. And I'm afraid, even in Baptist churches, even, even though it's a part of our name, 
we have made bat- we, we've kind of demoted baptism down, down here. Jesus made it clear. Baptism is at least as important as the Great Commission. And it, and it is not required for salvation, but it demonstrates that one has been saved. And so we baptize believers here at Anchor. If you come forward, you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I want to follow him into these baptism waters, and I want to be obedient to the, to the word of Jesus in that way. And we celebrate that with you, and we help you take that step. Now, here's the next question as we kind of trek along here. When should I be baptized? The answer is so simple. And I'm afraid, again, we've kind of overcomplicated it a little bit. The answer is this. A believer in Christ should be baptized ASAP, as soon as possible. Now, what we've done is we said, hey, we don't want anyone to be baptized for the wrong reason, right? Can we just all agree on that? Like, we don't need to rush to the waters willy-nilly. We need to consider it. But I'm afraid that we have made it to where we feel like we have to have some upper, higher level knowledge and understanding of baptism to be obedient in that way. And again, the Ethiopian official, I mean, he busted open Isaiah. He just got saved. He didn't attend a baptism class. And baptism classes are fine. I'm not saying they're bad. He didn't take, like, he said, what's holding me back? There's some water. Let's do this. There was an urgency there. And I think that's what we should grasp onto is we should say, hey, as soon as possible, and it makes sense if you want to delay a week or two so you can invite some family in or something like that. You know, like, that's, like, I totally, I totally get that. But here's, here's what I find in these conversations that I've had, and even in my own journey and others' journeys that I know. The longer you wait, the longer Satan's got to get in there and discourage you from doing it. That's typically what happens. It happens with a lot of stuff we do, right? We procrastinate. How many of us struggle with procrastinating? Anybody? Anybody else? Honestly? Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, just generally speaking. And especially with the most important things, sometimes we can be guilty of that as well, myself included. So we should be baptized as soon as possible. For a long, long time, baptism was seen as an initiatory rite in the church. That means that people were baptized as soon as they got saved, right away. That wasn't my story. I waited about a year and a half, two years. Um, we've had people baptized recently that waited, you know, waited much, much longer than that. It's not about the amount of time that you wait. It's not about what you, what, what's already happened. It's about now that I know, now that I have this understanding, what is, what is the Spirit leading me to do? And I would guarantee you that God will lead you towards taking that step of baptism sooner rather than later. If anyone's discouraging you from that, I can promise you it's not the Holy Spirit. There's only one spirit that would not like the idea of you being baptized sooner than later. And he will do whatever he can to discourage you. And so will his helpers. So, another quick look. Acts 16. Join, join me there. Acts 16. Paul and Silas are in jail. And here's what happens. They're locked up. They've been tortured. They've been beaten this jailer has not been a very nice guy to them at all. And they were beat and tortured and imprisoned for their faith, for being bold about Jesus. But all of a sudden, verse 25, about midnight, midnight, they were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake. 
The foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open. Everyone's chains came loose. The jailer wakes up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, and he does this thing. He draws his sword. He was going to kill himself because what happens if, if people escape on your watch? You can say goodbye to your wife and kids because you're not going home. And so he was going to commit suicide since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul, verse 28, calls out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer calls for the lights. He rushed in. He fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and says this, he asks this question right here, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Most important question we could ask. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Hey, if you're ever looking for, a question, for, for an answer to that question, if anyone were to ever ask you that or you're ever explaining it, it's that simple. We believe in the Lord Jesus. We trust in him. Believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. You and your household. You and your household are invited. He doesn't mean, jailer, if you believe, then your whole household will be saved. No, he's saying, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And this also is, that invitation is also extended to you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him. They explained further along with everyone in the house of sharing the gospel with the whole family. And this is God's design, friends, to save families. He does it all the time. It's not, it's not just about daddy jailer getting saved. It's about the whole family getting saved. And that's an amazing thing when we see parents get saved and they lead their kids to Christ. It's just a, it's just a powerful thing. 33, he took, this, he took them the same hour of the night, the same hour and he washes their wounds. So Jesus saves the jailer. He's had a complete change of heart. Now the same wounds that he caused, now he's in the process of healing those wounds. He's in the process of restoring their relationship. This is drastic, drastic life change. And then right away, he and all his family were baptized. Why were they all baptized? Because they believed. And right away, again, we see it. And guys, this is just two examples, and I could show you many, many, many more in Acts. And if you read through Acts on your own, you will also see this. That the example we see, people believe in Jesus, right away they're baptized. And so, is baptism your next step? Is it your next step today? My goal today is not to talk you into getting baptized. I can promise you, that's not my goal. My goal is to demonstrate from Scripture today and to connect us back to a true understanding of baptism. The baptism is a big deal. And I want to make a big deal about baptism here at Anchor. I want to do a better job of that. Haven't, haven't really harped on it very much so far. It's the first baptism sermon we've had in six months. And so this is a good starting point for us. And we're going to have to have some more of these um, sermons and Sunday mornings where we focus on baptism. But I hope that every baptism that you see, if, if you've been baptized, I hope every baptism you see, man, I felt this way when I saw Iris and Isaac baptized this morning, when I saw uh, Kirk and Kathy and Jonathan get baptized recently. I mean, like, even just watching that video, like, every time I see someone get baptized again and again and again, I feel like I understand baptism even more, and I feel like it's even more important to me. And I get more and more weepy every time, because I just, again, it's what it represents. And it's just powerful. Hey, friends, is baptism your next step? Are you, are you sitting here today, and you would say the same thing. You're like, you know what? Young child, I didn't know what I was doing. It was important to me and my family, but if I'm honest, I haven't been baptized yet as a believer. I haven't been baptized on the right side of salvation, as we call it. I want to invite you to be baptized sooner rather than later. Don't put it off. Don't wait. 
again, not me trying to push you into the water, but I'm going to always encourage you. As your pastor, I'm going to always encourage you to take your next step for Jesus and to take it sooner or later. Once we know what Jesus is calling us to do, friends, delayed obedience is disobedience. And I'm going to, I'm going to love you enough to encourage you to walk in obedience with Jesus, no matter what. And so let's do that. And guys, we'll fill up that, 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 um, We'll fill up the water again next week. We'll fill up that inflatable hot tub again next week if there are any of you that need to be baptized. All you, all you have to do is find one of those cards near you, go to next steps and just say, I need to be baptized. And we'll follow up with you this week. And we can baptize you next week or the, or the week after. But don't wait too long. You're going to give Satan a foothold to talk you out of it. You're gonna, we're, it, it just happens. We make excuses as, as to why we shouldn't. And I want to encourage you to obey sooner rather than later. Can I pray for us today? God, we love you so much. We thank you for this time to rediscover together. Some of us in the room today, I mean, we already kind of knew what baptism was. Others of us today were, were thinking about this and we're going, man, I did not realize this was that big of a deal. And no matter where we're at, I just pray, Lord, again, for those in the room who need to take that next step. And I just pray that we'd see more people take that next step. Take that next step in Christ to be obedient, to walk in the newness of life, to step into these waters and identify with Christ, to go public with faith and say, yes, Jesus is my Lord, and I don't care who knows it. In fact, I want everybody to know it. God, give us that kind of boldness. Help us not be ashamed of people seeing us profess faith in Christ. In fact, Lord, create a culture here where, make no mistake, every single time someone steps forward and says, I'm, I'm following Jesus in, into these baptism waters, that we just, again, that we just erupt with worship and praise and celebration. So God, help every one of us take whatever next steps, even if it's not baptism, if it's something else, if it's an, another next step we need to take to get connected to biblical community at our church, to, to um, Lord, to, to start serving you, in some way, and maybe to begin giving to your mission, God, just surrendering our resources to you, maybe to start having a quiet time, maybe to prioritize our prayer life more, whatever our next steps are, Jesus, help us take those next steps. Help us always be taking next steps, step by step. That is discipleship. We walk with you step by step. Grow us, Lord. Help us sing this hymn now at the very end of the service. And when we sing, in Christ alone my hope is found, we declare that you are our anchor, Jesus. You are our hope. And in you, we have life and peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey friends, let's stand together and let's worship in response today. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit anchorchurchcsra.com or follow us on social media at anchorchurchcsra.com.